Shalom and welcome. I'm Chelsea, certified mermaid, diver, and science communicator. And I'm Blake, scuba dive master, freediving instructor, and also a science communicator. <laughs> We've created the Save the Mermaids podcast to connect ocean lovers from across the seven seas who have a desire to protect our waters and learn to live in sync with nature. Save the mermaids, save the seas. Let's dive in. You all know how much we love sharks. We also love protecting them. And a big way to do that is to make sure we are shopping for shark tooth jewelry responsibly. We've learned a lot about this on our podcast and Silver Finco is the perfect jewelry maker for all your shark jewelry needs and wants. All teeth at Silver Finco are ethically and responsibly sourced by Val, scuba shark tooth finder extraordinaire. Her pieces are absolutely perfect for everyday wear, and she has many different styles to choose from. She takes the badassness of a shark tooth and creates beautiful feminine necklaces, bracelets, anklets, rings, and earrings to go with everything, and are even fully swimmable so you can add a little extra style to your water woman life. Use code MERMAID10 at silverfinco.squarespace.com and check her out on Instagram at silverfinco to keep in the know about all the newest styles. You can also just follow me because you can be damn sure I'll be wearing her stuff all the time. And now for our happy environmental news. So this is a cute one coming from 12 Tides. Uh, sea turtles have now received legal protection in Panama. This calls for a <laughs> celebration. <Yay! laughs> oh, good for them. Yeah. Sea turtles. Sea turtles. I kind of feel like maybe that should have already happened, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Good for you, Panama. At least they caught up. Yeah. Yeah. So today we have a very special guest. She is in house, which is very exciting. <laughs> woo woo. Today we're going to be talking to our friend Ashley Getz. Hello, Ashley. Hi. Thank you guys so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming. I'm excited that you're here. Um, you are doing a ton right now that we want to talk to you about. Um, you do have a partner who we are probably going to interview at a later date, but you're going to introduce her today. So let's just start with you. Tell us your origin story. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, so I am originally from Oklahoma. So a landlocked state, never grew up by the ocean, um, but always have like had this deep connection with it. Um, for some reason, like I think it really goes back to my parents. I have to give them a lot of credit because they were travel bugs, like adventurous spirits, always going out. Every time we went to vacations, it was always to the beach. So I kind of grew up like always wanting to go back to the beach and the ocean. It just felt more of a home to me and a connection. But I think it was until I graduated high school, I became a dive master and I Right after high school, you became a dive master? Yes, I actually, so I started diving when I was 10 years old. Oh wow. My, so my parents just got me into it. They're like, you need to do this. Trust trust us. You'll like, you'll love it. And I did. Um, <laughs> and so after high school, I became a dive master because just like the environment at the shop was the closest I could get to, to being to the ocean and the community around it. Just, it's where I wanted to be, especially for being in Oklahoma. <laughs> And so I became a dive master. And then during that process, uh, we went on a trip, a liveaboard trip to the Bahamas. Um, and this is not only where I really met the love of my life, um, but also where I did my first kind of eye-opening dive with a shark feed dive. 
And growing up, like I did have a huge fear of sharks. Like this is just ingrained with all movies and media and stuff. Um, but it wasn't really until I was in the water and I was, I remember just diving down and I saw where they had the bait ball chained up, you know, ready to go. And just as I'm going down to that, I just have sharks just cruising by me coming in. It was like this big, like we're in this big group together, all going down. And it was just so like, I was thinking I was going to be a little nervous and scared, but it was the most calming and peaceful experience I've ever had. And it was just so different than I was expecting. And at that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, I know nothing about these guys. You know, everything that I've learned is, is kind of fake news in a way. It's not real. So that was just this big moment for me as far as like, oh, I really like sharks. Like, this is really cool. Why don't I know as much as I should know about them? And just being underwater, hearing them eat the bait ball and the chain rattling and this, it's eerie, but it's it's curiosity and just so cool to see. And they're just swim by you and they know they want nothing to do with you. And as soon as the bait ball was gone, they just slowly disappeared. And it was just, again, like a very humbling experience for me. And after that, I was like, I got to do this more. Like, I got to get in the water more. Like, this is, this is so much more than me. It was so much bigger than me. Um, and so I, after that, around 2020, I moved to Maui for the first time. Unfortunately, COVID happened during that time too. Um, so it sent me back home, but that's when I realized I was like, okay, I kind of need to like rewire things. I don't want to work just as a dive master. I was kind of getting more into conservation and like I wanted to give more of myself to the ocean because I just felt like it it provided me so much of this feeling and this inner peace and this home that like connected back with my family and my roots. Um, and so I just continued to pursue that. And I went to an internship out in the Seychelles and I was there for about three and a half months, but this is where I specialized in coral identification and fish identification. And the very first time I worked with juvenile lemon sharks. And that was the moment I was like, yep, this is it. I'm never looking back. Like, this is what I want to do. Um, and that's where I am now, as far as like, that was my last big travel experience. Um, so I've just kind of devoted my entire life to these sharkies now. I love them so much. <laughs> Baby sharks. Baby sharks. <laughs> That's so, mm, you're such a real one and I love it. So I feel like that's a really important moment to highlight because you said it so well when you were in the water and sharks were literally swimming past you, didn't give a damn and were just doing their thing. And I feel like so many people just don't get that. And the three of us, I feel like very much know what it feels like to be in the water openly with sharks and have it be way more peaceful mm -hmm. than you expect anybody would expect mm -hmm. I always tell people to go cageless yeah yeah because it really does put you in the element with them oh my god yeah. that's story. <laughs> thank you <laughs> no thank you okay so wow um, what a cool story okay what are you doing currently then now that we know what your backstory is how did that lead you to right now Yes. So currently I do live on Maui again. I finally got the chance to move back. Uh, actually during when I, my time in the Seychelles is when I 
was kind of looking at, okay, where's my next step going to be? Cause I'm like, I don't want to go back home and then have like a dull moment of like, oh no, I'm stuck. What do I do? I don't want to be in Oklahoma anymore. I have to be by the water. Um, and so that's when I kind of went down the Google rabbit hole of, of finding who's hiring, what's going on. I was really trying to get back to Maui because I loved it so much when I was there for just a brief moment, but I just felt Maui has this magic to her and there's so much possibility within that. Um, and so I finally found Pacific Well Foundation was hiring for marine naturalists. So I applied for that. I did my whole interview with them um, and I got the job. And so it was just a coordination of, okay, well, when you come back home, when are you going to be ready to come to Maui? So there's a lot of logistics within that. Um, and so eventually I finally moved out here to Maui. I've been here um, for over a year and a half. So I'm absolutely loving it. Um, I work on Pacific Well Foundation Ecotours Boats as a marine naturalist. So it's an ecotourism boat that's um, really dedicated to research, education, and conservation of marine science and ocean, but really specifically focused on cetaceans, so whales and dolphins. Um, but I'm a shark girl. So I was <laughs> like, okay, I love this job. I love doing this at the same time. Um, I'm going to pursue sharks still. Like that's nothing's going to stop me with that. And kind of in the mix of this too, um, going back a little bit, I had also decided to go back to grad school um, to get my master's in marine science. So I'm currently, I work full time and I go to grad school full time and it's all online, which is wonderful because it works out absolutely perfect for me. But I will graduate at the beginning of next year with my master's in marine science and a specific focus on sharks. So I'm very excited about that. Um, but so during that, you know, I've been thinking about, well, what's my thesis going to be? And to me, like doing a research project, like, it again, it goes back to those roots. How can I do something that's bigger than just myself? You know, because there's so many people out here who also study sharks and, you know, they do the same thing. So how can I be a little bit different? How can I look at it from a different angle? And so that is why, and that is really, it's what led me to the black tips that I study right now on um, a reef out there called Oluwalu. And I hadn't decided on this until one of our captains took me to this spot one day. He was like, have you ever been to Oluwalu to see the black tips? I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know about this. Please show me. So we went out and it's this very shallow part. And at the right time of the day with the tide low, there's like a huge group of them out there. And you can just see their cute little dorsal fins popping out of the water. And they're all right there. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is my place. Like, I love this place so much. Um, and that's what really inspired me to want to learn more about this place, um, because Oluwalu is a very special place on Maui. It is known as the Mother Reef, and it basically it provided all the other reefs around Lanai, Molokai, um, the reefs that they have today. So they were born from the coral lava, coral larvae from Oluwalu. So without Oluwalu, no other coral reefs would really exist in Maui. So that's why she's the Mother Reef. But she's also, you know, snorkeling out there. There's a lot of juvenile fish and the juvenile sharks. So I'm like, okay, this is obviously a nursery area. This is an important area, but no work is being done with it right now. I know back in 2017, Sylvia Earle declared it as a hope spot, Yay! which is great, yeah. but nothing's really been done since then. So that's why I'm like, okay, I think this is, this is where it needs to be. This is what needs to happen here because... 
not only would it be great to understand these sharks a little bit more, but to be able to give it back to the community in a way. And this is kind of where my research project is starting to focus. So very excited. <laughs> I'm excited for a lot of that, but I feel like, okay, first of all, can we come on your boat? <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> we're definitely going to plan a Maui trip. <laughs> Second of all, I love that you picked the black tip because I feel like, especially here in Hawaii, you hear about tigers or like, big, big sharks. Yeah. The, the littlest ones. ones don't get as much love. No. And you know, you snorkel, you see a lot of the white tips, yes. but I feel like, yeah, when I was, when I saw that you did black tip, I was like, whoa, like so out of left field. I love that because they need attention too. Yes. And that's the thing, like, you know, especially here, like on Oahu and um, people focus on the tigers. And, and when you think of shark research and you think of, you know, sharks, people are already thinking of the big ones. Right. But Tiger sharks, they're migratory. They're not always here all the time. Um, sometimes we do have a few that stay around in Maui year round, but for the majority, they come in in the summertime, it peaks in October, and then it slowly dwindles out. But your reef sharks, that's their home. They're there all the time. And they have an importance. They're the ones that are really controlling the reef and keeping it in balance and keeping it in like a healthy state, which is why... Uh, I really chose this because not only do they have the important role of protecting the reef, but as the community, they rely on the reef with fishing and their way of life. So there's this big inner connecting circle here that we all really rely on one another and it's completely not understudied. Like nobody's doing any work on it right now. Um, but it is also relates to exactly what Andy is doing because she's focused on the coral there. So it kind of intertwines and we can really be able to get the biggest picture possible for Maui Nui region. Oh, mm. So this is a perfect time to ask about what you and Andy are doing. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you two got together and what your goal is? Yeah, so a lot of this, I have to give credit to Andy. Andy Swagler, um, she is my twin flame. She, I'm so happy I could meet her. She was on Maui about a year before me, but her backstory, um, she grew up uh, loving the ocean. She started diving around uh, 14, I believe, um, but she grew up on Lake Erie in Pennsylvania, and originally she was, like, obsessed with jellyfish. Like, that was her thing. It was jellyfish, um, but the more she got into it, the more um, it really became a dream of hers to become a marine scientist and work within the marine world, um, and at about age 15 is when she said she started to develop this dream of creating a research lab where eventually people could come in um, and learn how to do research or learn boat handling school you know like a boat handling school to learn skills um and then also ecotourism kind of mixed into all of that so she was really kind of the pioneer of the research lab um and then about a year into her stuff I came in and that's when we met and she hadn't really spoken to anybody else about this before until she met me and we just kind of really delve in a little bit deeper to this idea of maybe creating a research lab on Maui that would focus on coral, inverts, and sharks. Um, and that's really how Maui Marine Research was born. So it was like this perfect timing of meeting the right people, coming in with the right ideas. Um, and it's under the works right now. We're really excited about it. That is exciting. So what's uh, what's in store? Yes. Are you allowed to talk about it? I am allowed okay. to talk about it. It's very... <laughs> 
It is very beginning right now. Um, in fact, our executive director at the place we work, we both work at Pacific Well Foundation as marine naturalists, but she's very interested in what we're doing. And I know from the last time we spoke, they're working on a couple of grants, um, not only for their company, but also it would help us as well doing the startup of our um, research lab. So right now it's very much all on our own time, all our own own our own dollar here. Um, and we're just kind of like doing the logistics. We're like trying to figure out, okay, what are the materials that I need? And we're going to Hobby Lobby and like, I'm trying to build this shark trough and then they don't have a cutter for pipeline. I'm like, oh my God, I need help. <laughs> but it's, so it's a lot of logistical things, but for the most part, we have what we want to do lined out. So for Andy, it's going to be a lot of focus on her coral. So a lot of uh, quadrant transects, um, basically surveys to get an understanding of the the reef's health through the seasons and how that changes, especially with, you know, different anthropogenic stressors on it, human-induced stress. Uh, we really want to see how does the reef fluctuate within the year. And then once she has a really good idea about that, she's going to kind of funnel in and look at different species of coral, really understand their health and the pressures on it. Um, and then my job is I will be heading the shark um, version of this. So again, looking at these black tip reef sharks, um, I'm kind of breaking it down into three sections. Um, so really, I'm just going to start with like general workups. And this is very similar to what I did in the Seychelles. So I was working with juvenile lemon sharks. And we get up at like 4am in the morning. And we trek all the way to this little lagoon beach, kind of by a mangrove area. And we draw out this really large gill net. And we just wait. And eventually a shark would swim in and we'd scoop them up, bring them to the trough and we get just general measurements, weight, um, age, sex determination. Uh, we'd get a little anal clip just for DNA analysis. And then we would do a pit tag or passive integrated uh, transmission tag. And this is help us kind of keep track of them. And working with this just gave us a good idea of their general health. Um, but the coolest fact that I learned out there was because sharks are cartilaginous species, they have no bones, so they flex. And you can tell, like, if we had tagged a shark the previous season and we tagged them again and it was in a smaller size, we can say, okay, the shark isn't eating enough because when they don't eat enough, they actually shrink in size. So that's a really good determination of is there too much fishing pressure in an area? What kind of stresses are these sharks dealing with? You know, how does that relate back to us? So having these ideas and able to translate that to the black tips that I'm doing, that's basically the general workup that I want to do. And eventually, once I have a good foundation of this, I'm going to split it up into three sections. So the first one, I'm going to look at their physiology. So really just looking at genetics, body condition, and the overall health uh, within the sharks and their role on the reef. Then I'm going to go into their behavior. And there's a couple of studies that are done already with um, black tip sharks and their behavior. The oldest one was back in like 1959, 1960. And that was like this really old study. They went through a lot of different behaviors of feeding and stuff. Um, so I kind of want to almost not replicate that, but do a newer version of that in a way um, and see, okay, how are these sharks, you know, feeding together? How are they grouping up together? How are they um, reacting to human presence on the reef? Um, a couple of surveys I've done where I go out there, I put little GoPros in the water and then I throw up my drone to get like body condition shots 
But if you don't go at like sunset at the right tide, they really aren't around because in the morning there's too many snorkelers out. So it's definitely, we're definitely scaring them away. So it's, it's a balance between finding the right time um, of these, when these sharks are going to be around and then being able to capture that. Um, so looking at their behavior and eventually once I understand physiology and behavior, I'm going to start looking into their social structure. And this is probably the part that interests me the most because this is not very well studied, especially within reef sharks. Um, social structure for me is like looking at different deems of population and deems is basically a term that uh, you can say, well, like a family group. So like, this is this deem on this reef. This is this deem on this reef. And you're just looking at the, like the shark families, right? Mm -hmm. They're little groups that they group on into um, how many males are there versus females. And then also intelligence. I think intelligence is not very much known in sharks. And it would be really cool to see how smart these guys are as far as like, what do they recognize? Can they do, can they memorize a certain thing? Like just to see their actions and where they go on the reef and how they keep genetics healthy, you know, because they're there year round. Is it a male going to different deems to, you know, spread genetics or females going around? You know, I've got like all these questions that just like <laughs> pop up at once, but that's kind of like the main three things that I'm looking at. And then like eventually once there's a foundation of all these three major points of understanding and I have a good idea of okay this is the role these sharks play this is why they're important these are the really cool things that we just learned from it how does that now relate to bigger solitary sharks and this is why I wanted to start with the reef sharks instead of jumping straight to big tigers because there's already a lot of research done on these tigers. Um, people are trying to figure out, well, why are they peaking in October? What brings them into Maui Nui? Maui has some of the highest percentage of sharks and the highest percentage of shark attacks. Um, but I wanted to understand the reef sharks first because they're that's their home. Again, they're in charge of it. So how does that relate to the solitary sharks? And understanding that connection there. And then maybe eventually taking from Oluwalu, comparing that reef to other reefs around Maui. Because Maui also has Lanai, Molokai, Kahualawe, all these different peaks of the island that are separated by the body of water. So it's really beginning to get an overall understanding of the Maui Nui area. And having that information and presenting it back to the community to for education and awareness, because again, we have the highest number of attacks there. So again, this wouldn't just benefit the sharks, but it's going to benefit the people. And that's what I want to bring to the community um, to help protect people and, and replace my biggest motto is to replace fear-based knowledge with understanding and respect because mm. you don't have to love sharks like I do. I'm a freak for them. But as long <laughs> as you understand their importance on, and their role on an ecosystem, um, you can respect that. And the knowledge there is crucial because that, that knowledge saves lives. And again, it's changing the narrative for sharks. It's, it's repairing our relationship with sharks in the ocean. And to me, that's like the biggest picture to give back to people. So that's, that's like the big goal. Uh, <laughs> yes, queen. Yes. I feel like you're, you're breaking open such a world. You're starting from the ground up on a species that nobody really talks about. I would love to like check in with you and have you back and see like how things are going and what you've learned and just like 
follow your journey on this because yeah. I feel like you're you're onto something really important and I'm really excited for you thank you I'm very excited too it's it's not easy it's <laughs> a lot of work and there's times where I'm like having to go to work and I'm like man I wish I could just spend all my days at the reef watching the sharks understanding them but I gotta pay rent <laughs> I gotta put food on the table you know so there's definitely a balance here but um very open to you know people come I'm always you know communicating with people and networking like trying to figure out like well what do you know you've been here for a while you know especially with community members um just a couple of months ago there was an adult black tip reef shark that had was on the beach it was already dead on the beach and it was posted on facebook market and we were well not the market itself they weren't selling the oh, shark. Like, sorry let so me make that let me make that clear it was just posted on like the facebook community mm-hmm. page and I saw it and I, and I was with Andy at the time and I was like, girl, there's a shark washed up. And she, she's like, do you want to go see it? And I was like, yep, let's go. And so we walked down to it and we did just a general assessment of it. It had this really big hook in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very bloated, very scratched up. So, you know, just by looking at this and kind of talking to people around the area, we can kind of determine that I think what had happened was that they were fishermen were out on the reef and they caught the shark. Now in Hawaii, it is illegal to um, catch sharks and to bring them in. Um, And so I think that they knew this and they either didn't know what to do and they didn't know how to release it. And they probably just drug it back and they left it on the beach. And that's where I realized there's a major disconnect, you know, with the understanding of sharks and being able to protect them because Hawaii has a great, you know, cultural aspect with sharks. They're very much respected, especially in the Amakua, the shark gods bringing the early Polynesians in for guidance and protection. I mean, it's in their history. It's in their culture. Why has that, where did that go? And especially here and now in today's time, I'm trying to rebuild that bridge and not just for, you know, local Hawaiians, um, but just for tourism too. When people are coming into the islands, they don't know about this place as much. So how can we do a better job at educating people on the importance of sharks, but also protecting them because we need them. We desperately (laughs) need them. Our oceans need them and our oceans are a direct lifeline. So that means we need them too. You're really coming at this from such a mindful perspective, covering the cultural basis to the scientific basis. It's really you're being very mindful about it and it's like getting me emotional. Like listening to you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so um, because you're so new and because we are so passionate about your, what you're doing, <laughs> what, like, what can we and our listeners, like how, what can we do for you? Yeah. So I think like the golden thread throughout this is awareness and education um, because, you know, a lot of people can, can go dive with sharks and get interested and the cool thing about sharks is that it creates this fear and curiosity at the same time so a lot of times on my eco boats you know people are always asking me like oh what kind of sharks do you have out here like are they gonna get me like there is general curiosity here and so those are the moments that I think are most important because that gives you kind of this platform to be able to introduce this new again this un like not fear-based knowledge this understanding this respect for them you don't have to love them 
but know their importance and understand that and kind of respect it. And it changes people's mindset a little bit. It connects people back to that roots that the ocean is bigger than all of us, but we all depend on it and it connects all of us together. Um, so education is huge. There's a lot of great organizations out there right now that do an awesome job at, at showing the reality that sharks are going through right now. Um, I know statistically speaking, uh, there's probably about five shark attacks globally per year and not all are fatal. You're more likely to get run over by a cow or crushed by a refrigerator or bitten by a New Yorker on the subway. That's my all-time yeah. favorite fact. I think they said like 35 shark incidences or something around the world. That's even like a shark smacking you with its yeah. tail. And then it was like 6,700 New Yorkers bite people a year. Yeah. I don't know what's going on in New York. Right? I think but, I could make a movie about that yeah, and right? scare people. Yeah. <laughs> Zombie New York. Also, I kind of want to see like a cow running over something <laughs> like that sounds crazy they're fast and chonky yeah so scary like God. I'm way more scared of a cow than a shark hands down I had one charge me in the Seychelles I was like oh look it's a cute cow I'm gonna go up and try and say hi and it just turns to me and it just does its little like stampede stop and then starts charging and I spun on my heels so fast <laughs> And I just ran and it was so funny too, because like all, it was during our uh, weekend little trips that we can island hop. And so they're all checking in at this little hotel that we're at. And then you just see me running across in front <laughs> screaming and a cow is just chasing me. I'm terrified of cows now. <laughs> you can't redirect a cow. Dude. <laughs> Yeah, so like the odds are definitely like in our favor when we're, you know, in the ocean around sharks, but it's more about, you know, knowing that at the end of the day, they're still predators. They're not puppy dogs. We still have to respect their space. We are visitors to their home here. Um, and it's just like repairing that relationship. We're so far disconnected from the ocean now. We're, we've abused it so much. Like, it's time to reframe our mindsets. And I'm hoping that that's what my research can do um, for Hawaii, for the community here. And then, you know, spread that, spread that knowledge because sharks are very much protected here. Um, however, it's still um, legal to import and export shark products. So there's the gray area. There's still the problem here. And, you know, that's happening everywhere in the world and, and most places in the world especially in the U.S., all along the East Coast, we have these shark fishing tournaments in the summer every year where they're catching the biggest ones for the biggest prize amount of money. And not only do sharks, are, are they slow growing, they're slow to reproduce. So we're wiping out generations of sharks by doing this. And then they're taking all of that and the, their argument is, well, we're not wasting the shark. However, that's incredibly dangerous to consume shark meat due to the high bioaccumulation rate or the buildup of marine toxins within their meat. And this is going into the community. It's going in for children, for elderly, for pregnant women. And they're consuming toxins like methylmercury, BMAAs, PCBs, DDTs, these really high uh, toxins that lead to brain damage and eventually death. So really, it's a double-edged sword. Um, taking out sharks hurts our ocean and it hurts our community when we feed it to ourselves. So there's no win-win with this. The win is to protect sharks, to educate about them, um, and create a better relationship with the ocean. Preach, girl. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love that. Do you have any other questions? Uh, pretty much just, okay, so 
a lot of our listeners are obviously ocean nerds like we are. Is there, do you have a specific Instagram page or something where we could follow you to get more information about how, if people want to come and dive with you and Andy with the Pacific Whale Foundation, or if we want to just come out and help you with surveys, are you creating any way like that for tourism to kind of get involved in your program as well? Yeah. So because it's so new and beginning, a lot of uh, our friends at PacWell, I'm always like, if you're free during my time, come out and help me with my surveys. Because again, people get super excited to be able to see this. So it's, it's great to get them involved. Um, to get their ideas going. I'm very open to it, you know, to any community who who wants to come out and to support and help because this is this is the thing is I don't want to come in and be like, oh, this is just me. This is my thing. I don't want to be that shark girl. I want to be open to sharing this um, because this is this is a, a community effort. We're doing this together to benefit all of us. So um, I post everything to my own page, my own Instagram page, which is uh, at ashley.getz. Um, and so you can follow me on there. You can also find Andy's page on there as well. Um, we share a lot with each other. So I'm always posting about her and, and vice versa. So she's wonderful. Um, she, I really have to thank her for starting this idea. And then again, meeting was like the perfect opportunity. And it's, we're very excited for what this is going to create and hopefully give back to the islands. Yeah, so are we. Magic. Magic. And then, so we will definitely be dropping all of your like links to you as well. Awesome. So um, if anybody has any questions on how to spell stuff, it'll be written out. So uh, when are we going to Maui? Uh, yeah, seriously, <laughs> we will be in touch. Yeah, I'll have to take you guys over to Oluwalu. So hopefully like the ties will be right and I can show you all the black. Just yeah. tell us when and we yeah, will be, so we'll be there. <laughs> oh, later? Yeah, we're at <laughs> Tonight we're going yeah. home with you. Right. Okay. <laughs> Just jump on the plane. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. That was awesome. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. We haven't been able to like present this at all. So this was like a perfect way to get the word out. Yes. Tell people about what we're doing. Get people excited. Get support um so yeah thank you guys so much yeah thank you and good luck you got us excited and you have our support so oh, yeah. we'll be checking in from time to time and having you back on I'm sure thank you guys thank so much sure. thanks so much for diving in with us today please make sure to follow us on Instagram at Save the Mermaids Podcast. Visit our website at www.mermaidconservation.com for all the podcast merch and our eco-friendly favorites. And don't forget to join our Facebook community, Save the Mermaids Podcast Community. This is where we will post our monthly meetups, share our favorite underwater adventures, and connect with like-minded ocean lovers all over the world. Until next time, mermaids! Mm-hmm.